0: Hi there, you're listening to Commissioning
1: Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hello and welcome to another episode of Commissioning Conversations. I'm Hannah Bowler and today I'm joined by season Exec Courtney White. Courtney is president and Discovery-owned Food Network and oversees all programming and development at the channel. So hi and welcome. And to kick things off a bit lightly, hi. I wonder if you could share with us your favorite TV chef. My favorite TV chef?
0: Well, I would say, you know, before I started working at Food Network, the show that brought me into food as a, just as a, as a fan is Barefoot Contessa and Ina Garden. I grew up in a household where my My mom didn't really cook, and so I really learned to cook watching Ina and watching Food. And then once I got in the door, you know, as a as a viewer, we're just you know between Guy and Bobby and Alton, just kind of fell in love with the whole the whole family of of chefs. But I have to say, from my seat, it's a privilege to be able to work with so many chefs who are so passionate and each has a different style, but. They all love food, love cooking for friends. I've never met a more passionate group of people than chefs through this job. I mean, it's, it's a world where the hours of being the chef are really long and arduous, and they come home at night and cook for their friends. So it's just nonstop, and their passion and true, true love of food is really inspiring. So, um, so Ina was the step in the door for me, but um, it's definitely hard to pick a, fa- a favorite now that I know everybody better through this job.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I can imagine. I know them personally, that's quite a different way into just watching them.
0: It is, but I have to say, you know, and I say this to my friends all the time like, for each of them, they are who you would expect them to be, you know, like Sunny in the kitchen is the Sunny that you have a conversation with over, you know, a cup of coffee. And Guy's energy that you see in Diners, Drivings, and Dives is the same energy that he brings, you know, when he's off the camera. So as different as they are from each other in each of their individual shows, those are their authentic selves. And so they're all totally different, but they are who they are. And that authenticity is, of course, what what draws their audiences to them.
1: I feel like I would really love to have Guy as a dinner party guest. Yes, you would. <laughs> yeah. You can't beat it. So kind of back to the Food Network then, How's Corona affected commissioning at the network and also from a scheduling perspective?
0: So a, a few things happened in the initial weeks of quarantine. First, amazingly, all of the shows that we had produced and... With, with episodes in the can we're able to go home with editors and I have to say it's just a huge nod to not only technology but how prepared and fast production companies were to keep on track and so shows from chop to beat Bobby flay to buddy versus stuff were able to keep on schedule in post with editors working from home which was just phenomenal the other thing we we did very quickly, and this was really driven by changes we saw in a huge uptick of activity on our social sites and on our talent's individual social platforms, where people were really looking for timely recipes. What can I cook out of my pantry? How can I make substitutions? There were definitely more people thinking about food and the practical needs of cooking dinner breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, which you know, for a huge swath of people hadn't been the norm, but was something that they were now doing out of necessity. And then the other um, part of that where people were really cooking as a pastime, and, and baking as a pastime. You know, we've read a, a lot about, like, you know, the sourdough movement. <laughs> so what we were able to do is talent like our cast of The Kitchen, which is a, um, a weekend, very timely kind of talk cooking show, and talent like Reed Drummond, Pioneer Woman, they started making episodes at home. So in doing so, they had their family members filming them, and, and the production was very different. But it also tapped into what we felt was a very timely need that we could serve, which is how do you address the needs of cooking for everybody in this moment. Guy Fieri started doing diners, drive-ins, and dives from his house via Zoom remote into restaurant owners, where he and his son would be shipped the ingredients and, and cook along. Again, a really a huge success. And then we started getting getting word that there were some new talent like Amy Schumer, who's married to a uh, chef, Chris Fisher, and they were now available to do a show. Previously, Amy had been booked on various projects throughout the whole year, but when production shut down, she was able to, and, and interested in self-shooting, a cooking show. So. It was a mix of being able to keep on track with a lot of our favorite high volume anchor shows like Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay through those shows moving on into post in in individuals' houses and not missing a beat. And then our being able to really adapt and and self-shoot some content that really felt timely.
1: Are you looking for any more of those kind of new self-shoot but like an original idea not just spun out from a franchise? Is that something that you're looking at right now or we we
0: are but we are you know the benefit of these being so quick to produce is that we're able to really read the audience and so what we're sensing now from our viewers is they're ready to not just look inside their pantry they're they're eager to think ahead beyond quarantine but the world is not is still not fully open for business so One example is we have a a brand new series with Michael Simon, Simon's Dinners, and and Michael Simon earlier this spring on our digital platforms was cooking dinner every month, and it was his take on on dinner that night at five o'clock every day. And 30 million viewers watched. So what we noticed is towards the end of that run, he did some episodes outside that really popped an interest in those in that audience. And we said, you know what? By the summer, people are really going to want to get outside, even if they're only outside in their backyard because of limitations. Let's really tap into that. So we were able to film really quickly in, in his backyard in Long Island. And we rolled out Simon's Dinner's, which is all about cooking outside. So we- are definitely still looking for timely ideas that feel of the moment. I think especially for summer, we are looking for ideas that feel seasonal. And I think people are really ready to see the outdoors, get outside. So even if it isn't a full-fledged ambitious production that might be in, in regular production time, I think that's the real hunger that we're seeing now from our audiences. People are still cooking a lot but they also are feeling really homebound. So how can we, how can we really make our, our air this summer feel like summer? So definitely looking for, for quick ideas that have that seasonal twist
1: yeah that that totally works I can see that as well like uh, in the UK everyone's kind of trying to pimp their picnics because it's like what all we have to do now now we're out of the home so kind of ideas around that I think that sounds really really wise
0: yeah exactly so it's you know kind of taking the, the the trends of necessity and heightening them to to entertainment so you're both you're getting that utility and you're getting that you know practical inspiration but you're getting a a super fun TV show also.
1: So looking beyond Corona, um, I read an article earlier in the year about Food Network kind of looking to shape up the schedule a bit and play with some new talent and those kind of things. I wonder if you could kind of unpack what that means and, and enlighten to what you're now looking for as opposed to what you yeah. may have been looking for before.
0: I, I would say what we are looking for first and foremost are really amped up character and storytelling. And I would point to Restaurant Impossible, which is our, our Thursday night show as a prime example of that. And and every episode, Robert Irvine goes into a a restaurant and makes that over. And we're planning a lot with Robert ahead because obviously the restaurant world is not what it used to be and the restaurant business hit so hard. So that show, just by nature of that space, will I think be very timely when it comes back later this year. But I think that show has really taught us that the big stakes of a restaurant owner who has everything on the line, sometimes those episodes are about a marriage falling apart or tension within a family from one generation to the next. And while it's firmly a Food Network show, because it is in the restaurant space and food is always a part of that show... It's not just about recipes and food visuals. The story is is much broader than that. And last week, we launched a, uh, a docu-series called Summer Rush, and it's about an expanded uh, family who runs three different restaurants in a resort town, and they need to make all of their money in 10 short seasonal weeks. And at the same time, they're really competing with each other for that small pool of tourist customers. So that's another Verite Feeling show that is all about characters and that, and those real stakes. And while we still have competition that is a big part of our schedule, including Terminator Champions, the Guy Fieri series, that was one of our, our biggest hit launches this year. If we're going to do competition, it should feel like a show that we don't have on our air and, and not just an iteration of one of our hit shows, but something new and different. But I think by and large, what we're looking at is how can you take the real stakes of food, the food industry, the restaurant world, or even family dynamics as it results uh, in, in food, the way that we see sometimes in, you know, families competing to host holidays. And, you know, we have a lot of ideas like that in the pipeline that food is is a part of the story, but it's also about um, the dynamics and the relationships about food too.
1: So is that kind of in- injecting a bit of drama maybe into the fall? Definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because the stakes really are very high. And, you know, the restaurant business is incredibly difficult and now more than ever. And so while we definitely fabricate stakes in a competition show and and those shows are about really highlighting the skills and creativity of chefs, which is incredibly fun to watch. What we realize is in the in the broad canvas of our primetime schedule, we can approach steaks in a bunch of different ways. And I think one of the, our focuses as we go into 2021 is how can we inject steaks that aren't dictated by a format, but that are, are real steaks with people's business and livelihood and training and time and skill on the line that we can really explore
1: in a more documentary way. Okay, so kind of removing the hand of the producer a bit and letting the family dynamics or whoever it is kind of play out in, in real time.
0: Definitely. I mean, I would say, you know, for Restaurant Impossible, the the casting is incredibly well done and the pre-production is um, incredibly well executed. And so there is a, a, a huge amount of prep work going into every episode of that show. And yet Robert Irvine does not know a th- about that story on purpose when he walks in the door. So he is coming into every restaurant situation, having no idea what he's walking into. And he needs to unpack what really is the root of these issues behind these failing restaurants. And so we see him as a viewer do that. And so we're really digging into the heart of the issue as he's doing that in in real time. And it's part of what makes that show so compelling. So while there is a very skilled production behind the scenes that is making sure we choose the right location and and the right story. Once that's all done, it is Robert in his real true self finding his way as he goes um, as the camera rolls. And that's what makes that so compelling.
1: Thinking across to talent, I know that you commissioned the Amy Schumer show during lockdown. When I saw it, I thought it was quite a surprising casting. I wondered if there's anything, are you looking for more kind of surprising talent? um, Definitely. Like Amy? Yeah.
0: Definitely. And, And I think, you know, what was key about Amy, we knew she would be, and is in the show, incredibly funny, very entertaining to watch. She's so real and they were so game to just film life as it is in their house. But the fact that her husband is a incredibly talented chef and cookbook author, it it, it felt like a Food Network show, even just from the concept of Amy learning from him, because she loves everything that he makes. And so you have that real juxtaposition between Chris, who's very serious about food, and Amy, who is trying to learn during the episodes and is incredibly witty and fun to watch and real and in the moment. So. That show was very successful for a number of fronts, and one that was really important is that a quarter of the people who came to, to watch that series were new to Food Network. So it really opened the door and broadened Food Network to, to a whole new swath of viewers, which was terrific. So we're always trying to do that. So. I think a, a really loud way to do that is to bring somebody to your point unexpected where people just want to check it out because it's like, oh, I didn't think of Food Network this way. And that's part of our jobs is to really, you know, we're already in a very defined genre. So how can we broaden that as widely as possible? And how can we invite as broad an audience as we can? So Amy and Chris together, were really successful in doing that.
1: Do you have anyone that you could like look across to and think, oh, that'd be, I'd love to have them.
0: Yes, we have offers out to a lot of them. <laughs> but I would say, you know, there are people, the, the people that are in that space that we're talking to now do have some unique connection to food. Some of them are celebrity. Some of them are restaurant owners. So I would say that the common thread is there are no names. They either have a passion about food a skill in the food space that's unexpected or a desire to learn for some really compelling reason. So that food story for them is, is there like it was for Amy and we're teasing it out. So I would say, you know, in terms of celebrity, we love big bold faced names, but it really works on Food Network when there is a, an authentic connection to food or a desire to learn in the food space for a specific reason that that could become the the heart of the show.
1: We're predominantly a UK-based audience. So I wondered, how do you work with UK producers? Do you have any kind of creative requirements that they should consider before pitching to food?
0: Uh, We actually have a, a number of UK production companies that work for us. Worst Cooks in America is based on an international format. So that is produced by a British company. Pacific is a a company that does really beautiful cooking shows like Barefoot Contessa and Pioneer Woman. I would say what's what can really be an advantage for UK producers is looking at the, the world in the UK and what's on TV there and the formats there and how can they translate to the US. I also think that sometimes UK formats are a little, you know, bolder and they have, you know, more humor than what is traditionally on, on Food Network, and we definitely want to inject more humor and, and attitude and, and kind of wink and nod into our programming. So I would say for the UK, you know, is there something that's working in European markets that can be twisted for, for us? So I, I would say you know, most of our shows are shot in the US, and by and large, we fully commission our formats but if there is a, a great international format, you know, like worst cooks in the food space, we're definitely all ears.
1: I, I read about Kathleen Finch saying, I can't really get Americans on Food Network to listen to non-US accents. Would you say that's accurate?
0: I would say the relatability of, you know, Americans for Americans is definitely a factor. I would say, though, that sometimes you know, in various roles, it can really play to a strength. Say we're doing a pastry show and there's a French judge, you know, it just, that kind of conceptually really works. So I would say by and large, I think if you look at our lineup, there, it's definitely American heavy, but I also would not turn away opportunities for like Paul Hollywood, judging a, a baking competition for us. So I think it's just about how do you really lean into to that as a, as a character. You know, um, Lorraine Pascal is the judge in several of our baking shows and, and one of our most popular and, and most skilled judges. And her accent, I think, doesn't get in the way of that at all. And if anything, kind of, you know, adds to her elegance on the air.
1: And then lastly, uh, how best should producers come to Food Network? Um, do you direct them to people, to your execs? Or uh, how, how does the process work to pitch?
0: Yeah, I, Todd Weiser on our team is our SVP um, who oversees production. And I would encourage producers to go on the Discovery website, and there is a portal for development that everyone can enter into. And so uh, members of, of Todd's team reviews everything, and everything comes through our development process that's, that comes in there. And we have development execs in both New York and L.A. Patty Suh leads the, uh, the L.A. office as VP of development out there. So we have boots on the ground in New York and L.A., but people can pitch from everywhere, and uh, the, the portal's a great place to start.
1: Um, well thank you so much for your time uh, it's lovely thank chatting you. with you today um, and enjoy the rest of your day so thank you thank very you. much thanks for listening to Commissioning Conversations this podcast is produced, hosted and edited by Alice Redmond and Hannah Bowler we'll be back next week with more so don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Podbeam or YouTube in the meantime the latest Commissioner briefs can be found on broadcastintel.com